Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. Leo Tolstoy. Hey, my name is Zach, and this is the Plaid Jacket Philosopher, the podcast for tradespeople and the blue-collar middle class. I'm hoping to punch a few holes in the stereotypes that surround blue-collar workers, and hopefully share a lot of the stories behind how we got into our line of work, and the honest joy you can get from working outside of the office space. The plan is to mix in interviews as well as some solo stories from job sites, fatherhood, and personal experiences that led me to where I am today. Some will be funny, some will be personal, but hopefully any and all content here can help broaden what your opinion is of the blue-collar middle class. So the problem with that is, and that's, you know, this comes back to looking at the pattern in history, when that nihilism really began to rise up, there was a, a void created, a vacuum, because when nothing has any value above another thing, there's no movement. You can't go from one point to another point except that you think that process would be a good thing. Like everything otherwise it's just wandering and floundering oh man you can't act you can't act without an aim you're absolutely correct and if anybody like we've talked about extensively in this episode but if you want to see what what takes hold in the case of a power vacuum i mean go read the gulag archipelago by alexander solzhenitsyn because when you start to rip down every single foundation that your your nation or your judicial system is built upon just yep. just take a look at what happens. We have historical examples of this that happened within the last century. And it's it's alarming. It's terrifying. All right. And today I'm joined with David. And uh, I'll let you kind of go through your little introduction. Well, uh, you can introduce yourself, kind of what you do for a living, whatever you want to, to share about it. And we'll, we'll get rolling on this conversation today. Yeah. What's up, Zach? So, uh, yeah, I'm David. I'm a carpenter. I got four kids. Um, actually you and I have a lot in common, sort of the same stage of life and stuff. Um, I live on the East coast of the United States, so we got our little time difference here. So, um, but yeah, no, I work, I work as a carpenter, work with my hands. And, um, one of my favorite things about that, uh, that aspect of the, the blue collar job is that you have your mind free when your hands are occupied. So I love doing a lot of thinking and um, I, I love listening to podcasts and audiobook and all kind of things while I'm working. Um, now that I've gotten proficient enough that half of what I do is autopilot, um, I, can, uh, I can listen to things that expand my mind and my understanding and uh, it's just one of my favorite things to do. I share all that with you. It's the same same stage that I'm at. You kind of get to the point where 90% of your job, you're running on autopilot. So you can you can really kind of sink your teeth into an audiobook or a podcast. And I agree with you. It's it's a great way to learn on the job and learn while you're while you're doing something. It's the 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 best, cheapest route to a broad education. Yeah. I, I agree. Go take I a agree. trade. Learn a trade. Yep. I, I agree. <laughs> it's in, it's incredible nowadays. So I figured Today, we could kind of have a discussion uh, based, well, kind of loosely, I'm sure we'll go down tangent, tangents, but the the kind of the attack on almost the Judeo-Christian morality or values that we in the West kind of hold up and how, how yeah, it seems to be under attack from all different angles. And I, I don't think people necessarily think about the repercussions of these things and what happens when you tear down uh, a structure like that, regardless of your religious beliefs as an individual, it's mm-hmm. it's the values that are kind of ingrained in that. And I mean, all you have to do is pick up a history book, anything from the 20th century, and you've got chock full of different examples of where this has gone terribly wrong. But I, I mean, we kind of share that same idea. We like reading about history. We like learning. But I, 
I don't think that that's widely spread where people actually look back and say, oh, what do you mean history repeats itself? Like we have a guideline of what happens if this if this goes down this path. And so anyway, I figure we could kind of discuss it a little bit today. And I know, I mean, yeah, I think that it'll be a really good, good discussion. I know our beliefs, like I grew up in a Christian home. I, mm-hmm. I'm battling with that relationship, you know, day in and day right. out. But right. yeah, I, I think regardless, it'll still be, it'll still be an interesting discussion. Yeah, you know, I think the the analogy that you made of tearing down these structures, I think that that really kind of can give us some insight if we think about that. Um, because there's two parts to why I think a lot of those fundamental ideals or those foundational ideals um, about the, the individual and, and what that means and what an individual is and, and how that uh, builds up society, how, the, how society, how, how culture, society, the institutions of society, they are a building of individuals. And the structures and the way that they're built you know, if you tear down the foundation elements of the individual, well, it's like if you if you if you compromise your cellular structure in all the cells of your body, or even some of the cells of your body, well, the body's not going to correct that as a whole. The body is nothing but a composition of the cells. Yep. And I think we we often think of you know like institutions, and we think of them independent of the of the individual. And I think that's why it is correct that to change institutions, you start at the individual level. Yeah. But, you know, when we're talking about how the institutions and the structure of society, these foundation, these foundational ideals, how they're under attack, I think you have to look at that relationship again and say, okay, but why are they under attack? And you recognize that there's a large portion that it's because they've been neglected. So a building isn't typically torn down unless it's already compromised. Okay. So the the point that you made there that I really liked is the fact that if you ignore well, I, first off, I really like the analogy to the body because you're right. You, you can't, it's all made up of individual cells, but they all have to work together. And I do like the point that you made of where if we ignore, if we do ignore certain aspects of our society or certain groups of individuals, you know, that it doesn't necessarily, or if they're, you know, I mean, society isn't fair. I think that's been pretty well documented. I mean, even, even in the system that we have, there are flaws, but it, right. I think we can both agree that, and like you said, with in reference to the building, it doesn't mean you tear the building down. It means you correct right. you correct the certain pillars or the certain areas that need touching up. Right. And so I thought right. those were really good analogies. And I wanted to kind of before we get right into this this discussion, I just wanted to bring up basically when we talk about Judeo Christian values, this this term kind of originally came up, or well, it's accredited to Dwight D. Eisenhower in 1952. And what he said is, our form of government has no sense unless it is founded in a deeply felt religious faith. And I don't care what it is. With us, of course, it is the Judeo-Christian concept, but it must be a religion that all men are created equal. And that lines right up with what you said, where it does come back to the individual. It's not, it's not about these massive groups that we're experiencing now, right? Where everybody gets classed into a different, a different cluster, a different cell. And it's just, it seems to be, you know, just clashes and fighting between these different groups rather than looking at people as an individual. Right. Right. Well, that's, that's the key. I mean, that, that's the thing is that it has to be that all are created equal. And the neat thing about the Judeo-Christian concept of the image of God, that's the, the foundational um, 
identity and identity is important uh, identity is the physical expression of purpose so it's directly connected to action um, you can identify a chair by its physical features but those features exist to satisfy the purpose for which it was made you can identify whatever you're listening whoever's listening to this podcast you're listening to it on your phone well how do you know it's a phone you see the way it's made you see its shape you see its form but its form exists for a purpose the the physical form serves a greater ideal and the greater ideal is a way of being so understanding the the image of god it means to be as god it's not to look like god i mean what what a ridiculous idea to say oh you know you god has a body like the whole concept of god is intended to be the thing without limit the thing that is um unmeasurable you know as the the, the Tao Te ching says uh the Tao that can be taught is not the eternal Tao, and the name that can be named is not the unending name. Right. It's it's that that search for the ideal, that that strive to be be as best as you can be. Right. If if an infinite God could be understood as a body, then he wouldn't be an infinite God. Right. And that that makes a lot of sense to me. And that that again loops back to kind of just driving for your ideal and focusing inward right. on the individual as opposed to the group. Right. No, I mean, I think it's, I think it's fair to say, and I mean, there's a number of famous examples of people who, who will talk about this idea, but the idea is to try to improve yourself to the best that you can be. And mm -hmm. that also not only benefits you, that benefits your family, that benefits those around you and society at large, because if yeah. everybody is trying to just trying to get, make themselves better, a more capable human being, then that that serves society on the whole. Right, right. Yeah. And and it, and that's the thing. And that comes back to how the individual comprise like the society is comprised of individuals. And and the key element in the Judeo-Christian belief of the individual is their way of being. Right. It connects directly to action. And and the proper or the intended or the designed way of being is to embody what it means to be God in a sense that what God is and, and the concept that God is good, therefore behave in a way that reflects that behave in a way that produces goodness. Uh, so there's a, there's a moral reference point and that's the nature of God. I really like that, that term of moral reference point. I'm writing that down. <laughs> yeah. You know, because there are so many of these concepts and ideas that we have that are, they're very relative. You, when you study relativity, it's like it makes so much sense that it, but it leaves you kind of, it, well, it tears the floor out from under you, literally. Exactly. <laughs> and and when, when you think about things of value, the value is established by any valuator. But the actual value depends on the value of the evaluator. Right? Exactly. It's, it's like you said, it's a subjective it's, it's yeah, relative. It, yeah, it becomes extremely relative. Exactly, and, and that that leads to a to a total nihilism where nothing is, nothing really matters because everything is relative. Yep. So without a, so it, it actually produces an infinite regress of value, like it's it you know is it, is it elephants the whole way down? It's that that uh, story of the of the Hindu sage who said, well the earth is flat and it sits on the back of elephants and someone said, well well what do the elephants stand on? And he said, well they stand on other elephants. And, <laughs> okay, well is it elephants the whole way down? Like well, you know what what you know it's an infinite regress. And that's not just a thing that you find materially because we have an infinite regress if you don't posit something that supersedes 
all material existence. And, and that's, a, that's a rational exercise um, to say, okay, well, what resolves the infinite regress? And, and I think that is really the, the underlying thing that is the discovery of God versus an invention of God. Yeah, and I, I agree with you because, again, it's kind of this moral ideal. I really like that term you said, a moral reference point, something that we can all guide to. And uh, I also just wanted to say, too, listeners will probably appreciate that callback to uh, Flat Earth. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know which, what? I, I did. It was I, great. Yep, it was good. I, honestly, I, I really I thought it was really good that you did not shy away from the topic, that you were clear to say, hey, you know, I don't agree with you. But um, it was it was a good episode. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. I uh, I didn't hear anything about elephants, but maybe next time I'll have to uh, I'll have to bring that up if it ever comes up in everyday conversation again. Oh, uh, sorry. So what I wanted to talk about here with our kind of continuing this conversation on. So, you know, the fact that we we have like this again, what you referred to as a moral reference point, it kind of centers around individual accountability. Yeah. Now. If we do go away from this, what would the kind of what would the effect of this erosion of accountability? How would that affect society at large, in your opinion? Well, I think it's exactly what we see has happened. Yes. When when the individual bricks break down, the building starts to fall apart. Mm -hmm. And when the bricks think of themselves as a whole, as the wall, you know, like if we look at ourselves in society and we just see, oh, this is society and we don't see our own role that we play in structuring that we can often let let the whole be accountable for the responsibility of the parts. Yes. And and I think what we've seen, you know, we talked about how the Judeo Christian values that are the foundational ideas behind our our society, behind our, our culture, that they're under attack. But I think a big reason of that is because that the individuals haven't been responsible to own those ideals personally. They've just accepted that as the as the whole and they have have lost their part of as a brick of the wall. Does that make sense? A little bit. But OK, yes, I'll give I, you a perfect example. I'll give you a very specific example. Perfect. A Sounds specific good. example would be that um, we have accepted what we've been taught rather than question it. Um, you know, like you said about being raised in a Christian family, I was raised in a Christian family. And at 14, I had this realization that there was not a single thing that I had that was my own faith, my own belief. Right. Every, everything was borrowed. So I would I had accepted the whole of my belief system and not accepted or, or recognized my responsibility to build that thing, to actually explore and discover what is true rather than just accept what I'd been taught was true. Right. Okay. So I, I understand that. And uh, yeah, I, I can, I can reconcile that now moving that kind of to society at large. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think, yeah, you know, like, I mean, a lot of this, okay. So a lot of the online like outrage or just societal outrage that we see nowadays is people arguing about, the larger structures without realizing kind of the parts that they would have to play in fixing right. them or in taking up kind of their own part of that responsibility. It always mm -hmm. seems to be shifted rather from taking any responsibility. It's shifted on putting blame on somebody else. And that's, yeah. that's kind of what worries me a lot because again, there is no real 
there is no real system that wants to be put in place instead. There's no actual correction that anybody is putting forward. It's just, well, let's tear this down and see what happens. Right, right, right. And and what I'm saying is, and in the, in the, the reasoning for tearing it down a lot of times is because it hasn't been upheld, you know, like, honestly, if, if you want bad advice, the worst advice you could get about sex or money, go ask a Christian. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that coming from you. I, I really do appreciate that. So basically, I mean, all those tenants, and I'm, I'm agreeing with you, we're kind of, I, I'd like to try to switch it over to kind of the way that the political movements are happening nowadays and right. what, what the what the vacuum is that they're really creating because that's what scares me i mean i know that you've you've also read uh the gulag archipelago by alexander solzhenitsyn it's a a great first-hand account of what happens through well the soviet revolution and then you know the creation of the ussr and the the communist takeover of the country and i mean i'm you know one thing that does drive me nuts too is like i can understand where a lot of these cultural kind of upheaval movements are coming from because like you said it's been a lot a lot of it the the blame should be placed on us or on the people who have kind of kept this system going because they haven't maintained it properly right we've allowed certain areas to rot and fall apart and that's on the people at the top right or on us as society in general because we haven't kept it accountable but and then people look at it and say look this building is already falling down exactly Exactly. And it's just, it's such, it's such a terrifying way to look at, especially again, like if you look back in history, this has already happened. We have firsthand accounts of what happens when this takes place and we know where it goes. It leads to the murder of millions, tens of millions of people like this, this kind of all encompassing net that, that keeps getting preached about, you know, whether you're privileged or whatever, whatever the, the kind of moving. And again, like you were talking about the relative and subjective titles that they give to things, Mm -hmm. that frame of reference moves and it expands very quickly. Yeah. You know, and it's, uh, I mean, it started with, I don't know, Occupy Wall Street, which, you know, again, I I'm behind a lot of like the initial messages that go right like the, but the idea that now it expands from this top 0.01% to now it's the top 1%, 1%, the top 2%, like you're talking about in the States, I don't know what that would be, 36 million people? Yeah, like that's the thing. There's an element of truth to these things. Exactly. Not, and 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 you can't wholesale throw out the complaint. You know, when you look at um, how the wealthiest continue to get wealthy, I mean, uh, here's a great example. I, I did the math in 2017, so I don't know what current data is. But 50 years prior to that would be, what, 67. Um the average income was 15,000 or in the United States, the average employment status, 15,000 a year with full pension and benefits 50 years later. And in 2017, the average employment was, was 35,000 a year with no pension and no benefits. And that 50 year difference of inflation in, in 2017 money, that $15,000 would have been worth $55,000. So that's a $20,000 difference in income and the loss of the average employment being with, with pension and benefits. That's incredible. So there's, there's merit to a lot of, of these complaints. There really is. Absolutely. Um, but the problem is, you know, that the complaint in itself is, is, is a low resolution. 
Yes. And you're not looking at all the factors of it. I mean, you're, you're not looking at the standard of living has increased dramatically. You're not looking at the cost of commodities has decreased dramatically. So it's, it's so it's very complex. And, and it's the same thing as, you know, we're talking about looking at, at the attacking the whole structure rather than looking at the details and attacking the whole Judeo-Christian West and, you know, the, 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 what is it, Derrida's complaint against the West is it's foul logocentric and attacking the idea of logic even. And, and, and that's, that's the problem. And it, it comes back to the, the solution for it is exactly that quote that, um, that uh, Solzhenitsyn says that the, the line between good and evil runs down the heart runs right in, through the heart of every man and woman. It, it's, it's in the individual. It's in the person. That's the smallest iteration you can get. And you can't go broader than that without losing vital information. Yeah. And, and that, that's the, that is the, the individual as the, as the distinguisher, as the, the one responsible for what is good and what is evil. That's the image of God. That's that idea. Um, and, and I think, you know, if you want to talk about historically, I think a lot of it um, you can see in, in the late 1800s, um, well, even mid 1800s, um, especially if you read like Dostoevsky, he's got some really profound insights into what was going on culturally, what was the mindset um, that began to attack that individual as the as the one responsible. Um, right. that concept and and i think um i think a lot of that you could say so like a, a christian term would be it's a spirit it's the spirit of cain um but to make that a little more tangible and let causes this movement toward destroying the ideal toward tearing down a standard that has existed for hundreds of years what's the the motive behind it or the emotive force you could say that's the spirit behind it it's like Somebody says something, you say, well, what was, in, in what spirit did they say that? You're not necessarily talking about like winged beings. You're talking about what's driving it and what's the attitude and what's the aim. Right. So, and, and that's, that's very easily understood by everybody, I think. And just, just, yeah, right. the actual driving force behind what you're saying. Right. But I think, I think a good way to conceptualize that in some sense is as a spirit, like there's a spirit or an attitude or an aim that you can point to specifically and you can name it in that way. And that gives you clarity and that, that helps you, that helps you handle it. And I think you can see an emergence of a spirit of Cain, like the Cain and Abel story mm -hmm. where Cain has resentment against the success of his brother because his brother's success is a direct reference to his own failure. Yeah. And that, that is like an incredibly like deep story. And it's so, I, I feel like everybody could pick up on the, the teachings in that. What is it like two paragraphs in the Bible? Yeah, it's, it's short. I mean, it's a little, it's just a little snippet in the old Genesis story. It is, but um, it, it takes, it really does highlight that feeling, that duality that everybody has inside of them. Right. Like, and that right, I completely right. agree with you when you're talking about kind of the driving forces that spirit of Cain or envy, resentment, whatever else you want to attach to that or, or label it as. But a lot of what's happening today definitely feels that way. It doesn't, you know, a lot of the time, the way I think of it, like it, it may have started from a moral, a virtuous place. Like it felt like, you know, it was, it was trying to right wrongs. It was trying to correct 
right. issues. But as right. it, as these things kind of pick up steam and they start to snowball, like it has a whole different feeling to it. And it, it right. no longer feels like it's it's trying to right wrongs. It's just trying to tear down everything around it. Yeah, well, that was um, Orwell, George Orwell's criticism of socialism or socialists that he knew. He said that most socialists were driven a lot more by their resentment for the rich than they were by compassion for the poor. Okay, I didn't actually know that was associated to Orwell. I've heard that that uh, quote, Orwell. but that's it. I think you might be right. But that's yeah, that's I, I completely agree with that with that Road, uh, outlook. Road to Wigan Pier. Am I quoting the wrong author? I think that was Road to. Wigan no, I think Pier. you're right. I think you're correct. I I listened to it on audiobook this winter, but I'm not sure if that is it. Anyhow, either way, but, the the sentiment but, is correct in my opinion. Right? Yeah, that's the that's the idea that 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 what you're talking about, and and I think that specifically, if you want to give it a name, just because it makes it more tangible to wrestle with it, to 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 mess with it, but I like to call it the spirit of Cain. I think that's what it is. And, and, you know, in, again, in the old biblical story, the answer to it that God gives to Cain, or, or rather, if you want to make it less spiritual, is say what the, the proper response from the highest standard of truth to that attitude is, don't you know that if you do well, it will go well with you? Right. The response points back again to individual responsibility. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And that's, that is what is being wiped out nowadays is the aspect of the individual and rather switching all that blame or loading it onto the groups instead. Right, right. And, and I think you see, I think you see historically, you see that in the in mid 1800s and early 1900s, especially you really see this emergence of two strains of that kind of spirit. You have the nihilism, which attacks the ideal and absolutely destroys it and says there is no ideal and then you have marxism which is kind of in the same attitude or the same spirit but a, a totally different um it's more than just a way of thinking it's it's um it's in a way of acting necessarily in the world so so nihilism is kind of a natural product of if you say it, it comes back to that everything is relative and you say if everything is relative then nothing is absolute if right. all more, if all value is relative, then there's no absolute value. It's only relative value. If there's no moral, and, and if you don't have value, you can't have morality, because morality is good. Good is doing good for things that matter. Matter is value. So it just tears all of that down. Well, and like you said, it gives you a, a, a well, I'll, I'll steal your phrase again, but like a moral reference point, because right. it gives you that objective ideal to strive to when everything is relative where everything is subjective what are you actually aiming at because that'll be different for everybody it doesn't right. set anything really as a standard whereas right. i mean i think we all intrinsically feel we know what that moral standard is what we should be aiming at and i mean right. i think obviously the judeo-christian west is is founded on that and right. obviously the bible is rooted in that that's why right. and i mean i don't think I, I honestly, in my opinion, I don't think it's just the Bible. I think the Bible displays it the best and it's what the West is built on. But, you know, all these other like certain different certain different religions, they do point to that same value. I don't think it's Absolutely. as well. And I, and I understand that you're going to have your take on it as a as a practicing Christian. But I, I do think that, you know, the trouble comes in when we start to try to add our own things to it or invent new things like we have these deep like meaningful religious stories that all kind right. of point towards the same ideal 
But right. now we're just trying to add, again, like you said, subjectivity, relativity into it, and we're destroying that ideal. Right. And, and what you say about other religions having elements of truth as well, no matter what your belief system is, you, you, you have to acknowledge that. You really have to, or else you deny that God is a discovered God. Exactly. And then he becomes a created God. And part of that, that defensiveness toward other religions having any element of truth that a lot of Christians have, they have that defensiveness because they don't recognize that God is discoverable to some extent. Right. And, and we're not recognizing that these ancient people who tell us these ancient stories that so much of our religions and systems of belief are, are found in, that they're not idiots. They're not stupid. No. Like, and even if you posit that they were just stupid and totally like, oh, there's gods up there. Well, why gods? Why that idea even? We, we don't give enough credence to how these ideas emerged. And the answer of a person who is lazy or not intelligent enough to deal with a concept or an issue is always, well, they're just stupid. Right. That's not a good answer. We have to recognize that these things emerge and the similarities of these belief systems that have emerged. There's a process to that. There's that's evidence for that process that there are similar conclusions, such as the 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 ideal, whatever that is, if you call it the Tao or if you call it Yahweh that it cannot be conceptualized in a physical sense. It can't be actualized within boundary. So in the Tao, it's the name that can, that can be named is not the eternal name. In the Bible, it's don't make any graven image. Don't set in stone what your God is because right. you'll be missing most of all that he is. Right, and that, that makes a ton of sense to me. And, and just pointing back to the one, one point that you had made there, I mean, I completely agree. I think it's just lazy to point at, people in history in the in our like religious texts as just being stupid they looked up at the sky and they said you know this is that uh, like then they they just called it gods i think that's incredibly small-minded as well i mean you look at the moral path that any of the, that these religious doctrines teach like it is so applicable today it just as it was back then i mean yeah if you look at certain things that they said about but yeah you have to give these ancient stories and the people who came up with these stories or or rather preserved the stories because in some cases i think you can say they came up with them but i think a lot of them are events that happened and the reason they're kept is because of the meaning it conveys well yeah the fact that they're still so relevant whatever two thousand years later right more there yeah so you know i think things are not born in a vacuum i don't think that it's fair to say oh, they're just in made-up stories i don't think that's true i i do think that they're born into reality before they're preserved by an oral tradition or a written tradition. So I, th I think that's the most logical approach, but I don't think the, the issue is whether or not they actually happen. That's not what's important. <laughs> like there's lots of things that happen. Somebody pooped. Okay. Well, why didn't we tell a story about that? You know, like, is it important to know that? Well, kind of, I guess, but not really. No, whether or not it actually happened. Isn't the reason that we have the stories. We have the stories because there's actual substance to them, real substance. And I don't mean material as an event that occurred. I mean, the substance of truth that is, that is something that it's not just made up. It's not just some fairy tale, but it's preserved and passed down because it reveals to us reality. Well, and I think what you just said is actually, it may be uh, relevatory to a lot of people in here. Like I, I have never heard that really said from a Christian before is just that, you know, it, everything may not have happened exactly how it says, but the, it's the, 
it's the truth behind the story that really matters. And I, I couldn't agree more. I, I just find that's interesting to hear you say that. Yeah. And like, you know, that to say that doesn't mean that I don't think that there's historical accuracy. Like if you right. study, I understand that historical accuracy and, and, and I do. So like coming back, coming back to history. So we're talking about how these stories have come up through history. And, and I, I think, you know, that, that point I was talking about in the, especially mid 18, early 1900s, where this ideal, the, the principles have become so perverted and so neglected. Like you look at the relationship of church and government and, and you look at these belief systems that have been used to excuse, um, you know, uh, um, feudal lords and, and servitude and slavery and all these different things. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and you look at how perverse they've become, they've been neglected. The individuals who are responsible to own them, often um, they passed off that responsibility to the whole rather than keeping their job. They, they pass it off to their culture as a whole, and they became part of the culture and not just the thing that makes the culture. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a great view of it too, especially the fact that you're actually being introspective and saying, you know, like this is – this does fall back on us, which I couldn't, I couldn't yeah. agree more. It, rather than blaming the Judeo-Christian kind of value or backbone of society, we right. kind of shoulder that blame as the individual, as the people who are meant to kind of build and maintain that society. We've fallen apart. Like we've right. at that point. It's not, it's not the system itself. It's just, it's the maintenance crew that's messed up. Right. And we have to and that's, start. Yeah. That, that's what Solzhenitsyn did. Like here. <laughs> yes, Exactly. <laughs> This guy who had every right to be like, okay, I'm a war hero and you're throwing me in jail for no reason at all, basically because I was a prisoner of war and suffered for our nation, now you're going to hurt me more. Like this guy who had every right to be like, this is unjust, this is unfair. He, he was beaten down to the point where he realized, he's like, actually the only response I can make to this is to say, how am I responsible? Yeah. And it's like, what? How do you come? But like, I think, I think in part because when everything else is stripped away from you, and this is something you hear in Viktor Frankl, if anyone reads Man's Search for Meaning, also a free audio book on YouTube. Let me throw that out there because everyone should do that, especially it, if you're in a trade and you can. It's not it hard. Is, and it is an incredible book. Like it, yes. I, I, I did uh, whatever the top four books for this year, and that one made my list. It's an, it's an amazing read. Right, right. I think I did that in January. But um, if, if you read that, so what Solzhenitsyn found and what Frankl found is that when everything else is stripped away, the one thing that can't be taken, the one thing that is most fundamental to a human being is the ability to respond to create good. Yes. Yeah. And that is the image of God. It's the way of being that creates good. That's the inherent human state. That's yeah. what it means to be human. You have the potential to produce, to create good. And isn't that like above all just such a hopeful message? Like moving yes. forward, like like rather than relying on all these outward, all these different things kind of inputting and improving your life, like you have the ability to change it yourself. And I don't right. I don't understand why that message isn't uh A preached more often or B, why it isn't received better. Like how is how is that so so terrible to to even fathom? 
Well, I think a big part of it is this. The people who have that message, and I'm talking about Christians primarily, yep. uh, but also generally in the West, people who have this tradition, who have that message, they have allowed it to become a lot smaller <laughs> like when people when, when christians talk about becoming a christian like the way they always frame it is in a way of self-preservation where well, you could go to hell well like what does that even mean like what, right. what do you mean like, if you died tonight where would you go and what are you doing <laughs> you're making the highest aim of your life your own preservation yeah which is actually opposite of what that design is. The design is that my existence, my fundamental existence is to serve, to create, to produce, to increase something higher than me. Well, and the funny thing is too, that I don't even think, I don't even think it necessarily, you have to be a Christian to realize that like the highest, like the highest um, effect that your life could have is if you were to die in, in honor of something like to martyr yourself or to protect, to lay your life down for your fellow man. Like that is the right. highest thing. It's not about self-preservation, right. even outside of religious circles. I think that people in general can, can recognize that. Right. And, and that's the fundamental thing. That's why love is considered the highest ideal because the opposite of love is selfishness. Yeah. It's not hate. It's selfishness. And, and we, we recognize that selflessness and that, the purpose that I live for must be greater than me. Like, let me say this to anyone who's listening. If what you are living for, if you are the highest end to whatever you're aiming for, you will be miserable. You will never be satisfied. You will never find your own happiness if happiness is your pursuit. Yeah. And I, I think you could preach that 10 times more. And, you know, everybody needs to hear that because, and again, that's that's what a lot of this podcast was just started on. I like hearing messages like that. I like trying to find the why behind everybody's life. And that's yeah. that is so incredibly important because you're right. If you're only looking for the next way to better yourself, you're never gonna reach that that goal. You're never gonna you're never gonna get there. But you can you can live in servitude of other people or trying to raise other people up or find whatever direction you want in that way. And it's it's incredibly fulfilling. Right. Well, that's why, you know, the the most fulfilling thing you can do is be a parent oh, yeah. because it is it is the one thing that above all other things forces you to be selfless. It Absolutely. forces you to sacrifice like even in marriage. Marriage is like probably one of the second most satisfying things, I think. Yeah. And, and being a parent is the first hardest and first most rewarding thing you can do in life. And being married is the second hardest and second most rewarding. And and I think the reward is proportional to the difficulty. And it's because it's difficult to be selfless. Our, our primary nature is self-preservation and self-advancement. That's what, that's what human nature is. And to act against that nature is actually to fulfill your design or your intention. And that design to be something that serves a greater purpose to be selfless. You know, it's, and, it's amazing too how that works. Hey, eh? how, how anything, yeah. I mean, the, the age old adage of, you know, anything worth, worth working for it's it the grind is worth it like it's yeah. putting in that work anything that comes easy yeah. isn't worth it you know what i mean and right. it's amazing right. how those two go hand in hand everywhere in life if the yep. greatest satisfaction you can have is after after going through the grind and the difficulty to get there yeah yeah definitely 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 yeah it's that whole it's that whole dichotomy of there is a there is a life death cycle and when in order for life to be born death has to come and you know like i, I can respect i'm not a vegan and I'm, I'm not at all interested in ever becoming one but i can respect people <laughs> who are like 
<laughs> they're like, I can't eat meat because I know that something had to die. And honestly, I think that's a better way of being than someone who flippantly just buys a, a, a steak at the store and never understands or never appreciates that, that I'm receiving life by the process of death. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's a lot more meaning in finding that, especially if you're actually making a point of thinking about that. Right, right. Just to be intentional to recognize that 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 pattern and that relationship in life. And yeah, so, yeah. And I think I think that's one of the things that we're missing in in our society. And when when things are being attacked, we're looking low resolution and we're looking at, hey, I have to have all of this utopian, perfect world. Yeah. But not recognizing the price and the cost to get those things that we that we see as ideals and and um and again it comes back to localized what am i going to do you know like a lot of people like talking about um, the occupy wall street movement and and this might be an unpopular opinion but i'm telling you i am convinced of this and there's a lot of evidence to this but in america at least and 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 america i don't just mean the united states um mexico might not be included in this but i think canada probably is included in this more than likely but especially especially in the united states you can have what you want <laughs> yeah but you have to be honest with yourself about whether or not you really want all of it like you know why I'm not a millionaire? It's because I don't want to be a millionaire. Do I wish I had a million dollars? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Do I want to work 80 hours a week, wait till I'm middle-aged to get married, probably not have kids or have kids late, not have lots of kids? No, those are sacrifices I wasn't willing to do. Well, guess what? That's what a millionaire does. Yeah. And I think that's a very good point is recognizing the sacrifices that people do make with whatever path they choose to go down. Because that, right. that never gets factored into the equation. Whenever anybody looks at somebody who's, you know, mm-hmm. in, this, in this point where they wish they were at, it's like you don't see all the steps underneath that to make it to the pinnacle of that mountain or wherever they were. Whatever, whatever you're envious of, you don't see all the steps that were taken to get there or the things that they missed right. out on during that journey. Right. And that, that's, a, that's an unpopular perspective. And look, you know, there are things that happen in life that, no, you don't have control over. <laughs> like, that's very don't true. get me wrong. There are elements that occur. Like, you know, my oldest son, we've, we've talked before, my oldest son has cerebral palsy. He was born, he had a stroke in the womb, in utero, and they have no explanation for it. So, you know, for me to take responsibility for that, a lot of people would really give that pause and be like, whoa, well, that's not your fault. But there's a difference between fault and responsibility. Fault is causation. Responsibility is the ability to respond. Mm-hmm. And no, I don't have control over how my son, you know, you know, he's, he's a 10-year-old kid who can't walk or sit up or feed himself. Like, I don't have response. I don't have fault for that. But if I take responsibility for that, I can recognize that inherent in me and my nature, my design, very what I really am is the thing that can respond to this and actually produce good and produce life. And I, I think that's an incredible outlook to take, especially considering the, the situation that you and your son are in, what well, your family. Right. And, and look, you know, I was born lower income. Was that my fault? No, but I have a responsibility that I can, uh, I have the ability to respond to that. I'm not crippled by the fact that, you know, my parents didn't make, my dad didn't make a lot of money and we were one income for five people and, you know, the whole mess. But 
but you know i've i've worked in a way i've been able to respond that it's not always been easy yes there's been massive obstacles sent against me certainly there are many people who had a way easier path than me and is that fair no but rather than blame the fact that it wasn't fair i can choose to respond to my situation so that's hard because it's not fair and we don't like that you know and that's a big thing in culture today but it's not only it's not only a difficult thing it's an empowering thing yes when when you say to somebody hey where you are isn't fair you have two options you can overcome that or you can be the victim of that yep and it's a lot easier and it's more compassionate to let them be the victim it certainly is i agree it's way easier to to kind of say that and you're right it it does come across as more passionate but or compassionate but i yeah i definitely wouldn't think it's compassionate i mean it's you're essentially you're locking them into that state. You aren't giving them any path forward by just saying that, yeah, you're right. You were dealt that card, like tough luck. That's how your life is rather than saying, well, yes, you were dealt a difficult card, but you can overcome that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you can. Yeah. And, and no matter what it is, you can respond. And that's, that's a hard thing because it puts all the weight of action on you. And and that's why it's difficult. But it's also the empowering thing, because what you're actually saying is you are the thing that can respond. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so I mean, that's that's the appropriate answer. That's coming back again to this God's answer to Cain. You are the thing that can respond. Don't you know if you do well, it will go well with you. God never answers the fact that it, it really seems unfair in the story that Abel's sacrifice is accepted and Cain's isn't like he never points that out. He doesn't even point out specifically what's wrong. God's answer to Cain is about what Cain is. You can do this. If you do well, it will go well with you. And, and I think that's the answer that we need to first accept toward ourselves, embody that. Yep. Um, because that's where the responsibility lies. You know, I, we could talk about how part of the embodiment of that is recognizing the patterns in society and recognizing the patterns in culture. Like I said, recognizing, identifying that there's a, there's a, an emotive force behind Western, uh, an aspect of Western culture today. That is the desire to tear down the ideal, mm-hmm. a desire to tear down a standard that, that sits as a standard of, of not just an aim to aim for, but also a standard of judgment for what you fall short of. Well, not just that, but to just tear down the idea of, of any objective truth whatsoever. Right. Which is terrifying. And to make all things to make all things relative. But then so the problem with that is and that's you know, this comes back to we looking at the pattern in history, when that nihilism really began to rise up, there was a, a void created, a vacuum, because when nothing has any value above another thing, there's no movement. You can't go from one point to another point except that you think that process would be a good thing. Like everything otherwise it's just wandering and floundering oh man you can't act you can't act without an aim you're absolutely correct and if anybody like we've talked about extensively in this episode but if you want to see what what takes hold in the case of a power vacuum i mean go read the gulag archipelago by alexander solzhenitsyn because when you start to rip down every single foundation that your your nation or your judicial system is built upon just yep. just take a look at what happens. We have historical examples of this that happened within the last century. And it's it's alarming. It's terrifying. And this, oh, yeah. this isn't like, so uh, the flip side to this is when, you know, you see stuff online or you see stuff reported in the news where 
it just kind of blows the it, it blows the alarm kind of early like right. that kind of stuff drives me crazy too like no not everything is a sign of socialism or communism leaching in but you do have to keep right. keep an eye on specifically the social movements that go on with that and the messages behind it i mean i don't know how many times now when i'm looking online like i see the hammer and sickle of the ussr thrown around like it's a, a point of pride right. and that to right. me is a it's one of the most ignorant things you could possibly do it's Right. It's incredibly sick. it's worse it's worse than a swastika it really truly is worse than a swastika it's, it's at the very least it's as bad as the swastika and people don't seem to recognize that or or attribute any kind of weight to that uh, that uh, that political ideology like as in as if it's it's for the people which sure that's, that's the banner that it flies under but do not be fooled like look into historical well, that's, examples. that's the banner that the swastika flew under <laughs> exactly it's the same thing exactly. okay like they they were like yeah this is great this is good like no this if you follow it to its end it ends in the gas chambers mm -hmm. it ends in the in the gulag archipelago it ends in these prison camps and death camps mm -hmm. that's the problem is that you can't follow the culture as a whole you have to take individual responsibility you got to tear these things down to the nitty gritty and and search it out yourself you have to yep. and and um you know, the, the the talking about communism again, that that coming back to Marxism and the, and the ideal of Marxism was it, the way I think and the reason that you see. So the postmodernists are the people that believe everything is relative. There's no absolute. That's that spirit of Cain again. It's to tear down the ideal to make all things level. It's to level all things. So there's no there's no point of reference. Everything, nothing really matters. But like I said, the problem with that, like I said earlier, the problem with that is then you can't move. So you find right alongside that from the same spirit is Marxism starts to come up. And it's from the same, like I said, spirit, the same motive or aim of Cain to destroy the ideal. So Marxism is, is if you, especially if you read Marx's poetry, it's like, holy cow, this guy was possessed by resentment, totally possessed by it, uh, driven by it, totally over, overtaken by it. And, and it's really clear what he wants to do is tear down all standards. And, and and level all things and the leveling all things sounds like a good thing when you're talking about equality and fairness it sounds like oh yeah that sounds great yeah. and 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 to some concept it is but but the way that it works out in marxism is it, it um he creates this he, he views the world as a power dynamic between groups, essentially. Well, not to mention the fact that it's not about lifting people up. It's just ripping everybody down to the same bottom, bottom right. feeding level. Like that's, that's right. the big part of that that seems to get missed entirely. The way it works is the same way it works in math. It always goes to the lowest common denominator. Exactly. And that's not a good thing in society. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> so and so, so what do you say what do you say david because i get i get confronted with this all the time it's like oh well it'll be different this time it'll be different and to me that's it's the most egotistical view you could possibly is. take is thinking that you know better than every single right. person in history yes we've had technical technological right. advances but we it doesn't change human nature and human morality and the fact that you know, this, yep. like Solzhenitsyn said, you know, that line between good and evil runs through the human or through the heart of every human being. And it right. nothing that we have had technologically or anything has affected or changed that that runs right down the middle of all of us. Right. I think the answer is always appropriate when, when you have something that's outrageous. Don't 
don't give it the credit of a, of a reasonable answer. <laughs> That's a good point. No, seriously. What, like we do that too often because we're, we're, we're too polite. Sometimes I think somebody says something that's absolutely ludicrous and we validate it by not laughing out loud in their face. <laughs> I mean, not to be completely rude, but I think the, I think the appropriate response for that is to, is to look them dead in the eye and speak like unadulterated and uncushioned, unpadded truth and look at them straight in the eye and say that is as arrogant and as stupid as saying every person who's consumed arsenic before you has done it wrong and you could do it and do fine. That's a, that's a very good analogy to make. I like that a lot. I'm going to use that next time too. I, I really think that's the appropriate level to answer that because that's the level of absurdity that the claim is. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I think, I think sometimes we have to, we have, and it's, and it's difficult because yeah, you don't want to be combative. You don't want to be abusive and, and you want to be respectful to people. But I think that it needs to be, sometimes things need to be framed. You need to strip away the frilly little drapes that they frame it with and be like, no, this is retarded. <laughs> this is, no, I'm sorry. This is terrible. This is a stupid idea. Yeah. Um, I agree. So, and, and I think that is, that is, you know, but part of that, you, if, if you do that, sometimes the shock and awe element of that is you can get people to, to break it down and recognize a little more like to actually talk about the nitty gritty and work through like, you know what? So Marx is the reason I think Marxism works with postmodernism is because they're from that same motive, but also because that postmodernism that removes the foundation that tears the floor out from under you, you need a, uh, you need a framework to, to function in. And Marxism's framework is a power framework. So when power replaces morality, that's what you're finding in our society today. That that power is a is a determinative that thing of good, not actual moral behavior. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's that's dangerous. That's very dangerous. That power is the evil. If you have power, you're evil. Well, evil is a pattern of moral behavior. It's actual good, be, good or bad behavior yeah. that that determines what's good or evil. It's it's a way of being. Um, and, you know, that's that's so in that way of being, there's an inherent nature in every single person to act selfishly and to produce evil. That's the sin nature. Catholics call it the original sin. It's that inherent tendency within each person to produce evil. The line between good and evil runs through at the, the center of every human heart. So that that put that inherent inborn potential for evil, if you remove the good and evil, the moral concept it's crazy that you actually see that same reality being reborn in the power paradigm the power value paradigm because you have you're born into certain statuses of power yeah so there's white privilege it's that so it's 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 so crazy to me because it's so clear what's happening it's you've you've replaced a value paradigm a moral paradigm with a power paradigm and and all the elements of reality are reborn into this new paradigm perspective, but it's so destructive because it takes it takes away any ability of a person to respond. Yeah, well, that and that's just it. Yeah, if you aren't part of the correct group or the correct power dynamic, then you have you have no you you aren't even a moral person anymore. Like it's all it all right. use it through a different lens. It doesn't matter what you do. You belong right. to this group. You should be destroyed. And don't think for right. a second either to anybody who's saying like, oh, you know, this is getting overblown. 
don't think for a second that that, again, that viewpoint of where you may be standing now, you could be shifted into that group that needs to be destroyed easily. Just look up what happened oh, yeah. to the, the Kulak class in, in Russia, in the Russian Revolution. It is, it's terrifying. Yep. Take a look at it. Just look into a history book. You'll see this exact same thing played out right before your eyes. You can read through it page by page and death by death, and it's, right. it's terrifying. And that's, that's because that, that line between good and evil runs in every person. So even if you want to conceptualize it in a power framework, you're going to find that there's a balance there in each individual. Yep. Like, yes, are there some advantages in my life where the color of my skin may have benefited me? I think so, for sure. But like I grew up in the inner city and anyone that's grown up in the inner city in, in, in the United States knows that there are neighborhoods that no matter what the color of your skin, no matter what race you are, there are neighborhoods that the color of your skin paints a target on you. Yeah. Like that's, that's just a fact. So there's disadvantages too. And, and the fact is they're not fair, but the fact is that it's not about fair. It's about your own individual responsibility to respond to the advantages, to the disadvantages, to the privilege, to, to the, whatever you've been born into. The answer isn't attacking the whole. The answer is the individual response. The individual is the thing that can say, I'm made to create good, to bring about good. I have the ability to respond to every situation. Yep, and that those responses can have meaningful waves of impact in society around you and people around you. So that that's an empowering yeah. message, man. I completely agree. I think uh, I have to get running here in just a couple minutes. So I think we could head into closing here, but I wanted to- I think that's a good way to wrap up. <laughs> I, think, I think it if, is too. If, don't you know that if you do well, it will go well with you? <laughs> Yeah, it. it's an uplifting message and it's something that I think everybody should really, really think about and carry with them. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Awesome, man. Um, well, yeah, thank you very much for coming on. Um, I hope you have a good rest of your weekend and we can talk for a few minutes here after the I cut the recording. All right, awesome. Thanks, Zach. Plaid jacket rocks. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> have a good one. Yep, take it easy. Right. All right, everyone, that's it for today. I hope you found some value in this week's episode. If you did and are interested in more content like this, please rate, review, subscribe, and recommend the podcast to a friend. I really appreciate all the feedback you have given me to this point and look forward to hearing from you again. As always, the podcast page is The Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Facebook, at Jacket Plaid on Twitter, and at Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Instagram. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for the continued support, and especially to those of you who reach out weekly with comments on each episode. Have a great week and I'll talk to you all again soon.